Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. We're joined by Julian Cole and Andrew Whiteley from Airship. Airship is the leading CRM for the hospitality industry. They also happen to have built a track and trace system for the sector too. We'll be asking Julian and Andrew about both of those things shortly. But we've also got Laurie Nicholas and Ashley Tate from the now one-year-old MENA, an exciting Sheffield startup making it easy for people to pay to charge electrical vehicles. Henceforth, I suspect, referred to as EVs. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 If we start with you, Julian and Andrew, um, Airship has been around for a bit. Um, so could you give us like a, a bit of a history of the company and I guess I guess what you do and all that kind of thing? That'd be great. Yeah, of course. So um, Airship, you're right, has been around as a company for um, a bit. And I think a bit is actually about 18 years. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really, really old, <laughs> but we're also um, uh, young as well. And I'll explain why. So um, we have two core platforms at Airship. Uh, one is the namesake of the company. It's called Airship. And the other one is called Toggle. So Airship, as you uh, mentioned earlier, um, kind of hospitality CRM, we call it data-driven loyalty for the, the hospitality sector. So um, bars, restaurants, uh, clubs, hotels, all of those kind of all of those kind of places where we um, we bring in all of the data that they receive as a business into one one place, which is uh, our platform, and then they can use it to dig into insights into their their guest data and actually use it as a marketing platform as well. So so that's Airship, um, and uh, Toggle um, is another platform. Um, this is kind of we're we're kind of new with Toggle, so we launched it in 2018. Um, and we call it hospitality commerce. So it allows people to create a online web shop, uh, I think kind of a Shopify S type thing, um, and they can sell gift cards, uh, products, um, retail items, anything like that. And they can redeem those gift cards and um, manage that whole process uh, online and, and through our dashboard as well. Um, you also mentioned track two, which is um, a lot of what we're, we're here to talk about today as well. Um, we launched track two during lockdown as a as a check-in system for the hospitality industry and um, i'm sure we'll, we'll go into it in much more detail in a bit um but that uh yeah that happened in 20 well 2020 of course and um, so that's our kind of third system that, that runs alongside it all so andrew and julian you've got different roles in the company can you tell us what you both do Yes, yeah, so, so uh, um, I'm uh, Jules, the um, lead developer of the company. Um, I've been, I've, I've, of the 18 years, I've been with the company for 10 of them. Um, so been been here quite a long time. Um, and yeah, I'm the, so I, I manage our dev team. I think we've got about, uh, I think we've got about seven developers, seven or eight developers now. Yeah, like um, so yes, you know, it's sort of a medium sized dev team. Um, and, and yeah, so I just head that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the Chief Experience Officer, um, which unfortunately is not abbreviated to CEO, it's CXO, but kind of cool having an X in your title. Um, and so um, I, I look after basically anything that's external that uh, our users will interact with um, pre, during, um, using our platforms. That's what I look after. That's fantastic. Thanks very much. I'm going to turn to Ash and Laurie now, because from an 18-year-old company, we've got a one-year-old company. So again, can you tell us a little bit about Mina and also about your roles in the organisation? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said, Mina, just just turned one. Uh, we are a very much a tech business that's focused on helping fleets, mainly fleets, transition to electric vehicles. So one of the biggest challenges around electric vehicles is charging them. You know, they drive like normal cars. 
but they don't fill up like normal cars. And in the fleet world, charging them and paying for charging is complicated because you've got charging in public, charging at home, charging at workplace, and some places like supermarkets offer free charging. So there's all sorts of different challenges there. And in Sheffield, this year was quite core to how Mina started because I met Chris, who is one of the other co-founders via Sheffield Digital. So he'd left on the beach, uh, which was a travel online travel company in Manchester, moved to Sheffield, posted on Sheffield Digital, said, just moved to Sheffield, want to make some connections. I met him for a coffee. Well, once met him for a coffee twice and said, do you fancy starting uh, starting a business with me? And uh, he said, yeah, all right, why not? <laughs> And that's kind of uh, the yeah the short version of kind of how it all how it all started. That's brilliant. Yeah. Are you living happily ever after now? Yeah, well, he's he's yeah he's not he's not well he's he's on holiday at the minute, and hopefully he'll come back. So uh, <laughs> it's only been a year, Mel. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, things move fast in tech, don't they? So I just needed to to check. So Ash, you're you're one of the founders of the business. Laurie, what's your role at Mina? Um, so I, I'm head of product and UX. Um, so um, basically, just deciding um, what what we what we build. Essentially, I'm I'm from a very sort of agency based background. Um, so I've done kind of design and development and uh, kind of every, every, all facets of software. And now, kind of coming to Mina and being in house, I've sort of realised that kind of actually um, it it makes it's put me in a good position to kind of offer those expertise in the product sense so um so that's what what i'm doing here so i'm really interested in this sort of product side of things because you know at mina you're developing products that help people um pay for their charging of their electric vehicles and manage who gets to pay for that and then you know at airship you've got products helping the hospitality industry and is there sort of a weird question to ask but is there anything that you think is really key about product development that gets missed that gets done wrong things that you've learned along the way that that you think companies could do better at it's quite a big question <laughs> <laughs> i think um scalability is often something that um gets overlooked quite a lot um, so, you know, I suppose a lot of companies maybe sort of start building something um, with a, you know, a, a smaller budget, um, something like that, and, and sometimes uh, lack thinking about how it's going to expand into the future. And, you know, say a, a, a product that initially only gets um, used by a small user base, maybe designed for like one, one customer, one client, um, and then suddenly sort of uh, you sort of realize that actually this has quite a big potential and get deciding you know you want to start distributing that product to you know 100,000 clients um, or something like that so I think certainly certainly something like that is something that can be overlooked and, and that's a journey we're going on right now isn't it I mean uh, with toggle and our um, all the gift cards we're I'm looking at a graph right now actually so our uh, randomly our father's day sales this year were equivalent to that of Christmas a couple of years ago mm. and you know about 50% of all gift card sales in hospitality in uh, November and December and just to, to reach that peak this year on Father's Day it was just like oh my god we're like an inordinate amount of times bigger now and so we're we're going through that process of making our servers more robust and that stability and um, yeah just consistency of operation is something that we're, we're finding ourselves um, catching up on. 
Um, just to, to counter, well, not to counter to that, but um, as an extension of that, um, I think, so looking at the other side, so obviously we're um, in the electric vehicle space, There's, it's so young and the government's kind of set this target for 2030 for every, everything you kind of, you're not going to be able to sell internal combustion engine vehicles at that point. And there's so many opportunities to do so many different things that we've had to, had to just kind of put our blinkers on and be like, right, no, this is, this is the problem that we're solving. And, and a lot of that has been, well, we spent a lot of the, the, the first half of last year, um, basically just finding product market fit for for the things that we need to do, and we're we're all quite big fans of um, the lean startup sort of uh, philosophy, and making sure that you're actually kind of testing testing things in a very lean fashion, um, and then actually building them. So related to scalability, it's also building that scalability at the right time, and not going in at least in the early days um, before you found that product market fit, and building some amazing technical solution um, before you know that it's actually the right thing that the market needs at the right time. You know, it's yeah. a bit of a dark art, I guess, getting getting that balance right, where you put your resources. Do you over-engineer it in the expectation of huge growth that then doesn't arrive? Or do you build it out of, you know, tape and string and hope it holds together when, when things like response time and availability are so crucial to the experience that new customers get when they first encounter your business? Yeah, I think we saw a bit of that tape and, spring and string thing happening at the start of the pandemic, didn't we? When everything just moved massively online, loads of people who weren't used to being online were trying to figure out how to do it. And systems started to creak at the seams. You know, Zoom had problems early on, didn't they? Just de dealing with the, the immense amount. I mean, um, at Airship, presumably, it, it must have been quite interesting what happened in your industry as the pandemic took hold and then as things started to evolve I and mean, what what impact did that have on the business and and how you adjusted what you were doing yeah so uh, the first thing that um happened so uh lockdown was announced on a on a monday i think they said the pubs were open and they said this will be the last time the the pubs were open and there was that there was that very strange week or two where there was no no furlough was announced or anything like that and pubs were just told to close and there was this kind of uh, industry-wide scra panic scramble it, re it really was like that um, and of course a little bit for us as well because all of our clients are hospitality and if they're closed and don't have any money then <laughs> they're not going to pay us any money um, uh, but what it was really it was quite a beautiful thing actually so in those uh, in that first week uh, week or two probably lasted I don't know three weeks maybe a month uh, there was an overwhelming support for the hospitality industry from the public and that came in the form of gift cards. So a way, a way for the public to give money to their favorite pub, cafe, restaurant, um, without actually turning up at, the, at their door. Because these pubs and cafes and restaurants, they don't have online stores, you know, that's the only way they can take money is by people walking in. Um, and so gift cards was that, that, that natural outlet. Um, so in the first week or two, we signed up to Toggle just went absolutely insane, absolutely insane. Um, and we took the um, decision to make it free. So we we just stopped, stopped billing, said, yep, yeah, just use use the platform. There's no no contracts, no nothing. Just get, get online. You can sell uh, digital gift cards is kind of the easiest win on, on Toggle. You can sell that within half an hour. And we saw people who'd signed up and started to actually make some money off it within about um, 30 minutes, I think was the quickest one. And uh, yeah, it was just an amazing thing to witness and to to be a part of and to enable through our platform. 
That's amazing. I, I remember seeing the news stories about all of that. And um, I mean, for Ash and Laurie, you know, there you are growing a startup, you were doing fundraising and all that kind of thing over the past year. Did the pandemic have an impact on that? Or did you feel it was just, we just went online and it carried on as normal? Yeah, well, I guess we didn't feel much pain at all, in, in all honesty. So I think two two kind of sides to this, really. I think most of our potential customers that we were talking to at that time, the here and the now wasn't an issue. Like these, these people are looking at five, 10 year adoption strategies. It almost was just like, oh yeah, Corona's happening, but we're not, in, we're not interested in what's going on right now. As long as our business is still here, you know, we've still got to transition this fleet to EV. So that was one side. And and the positive of, of, of COVID was that these meetings that we had to travel halfway across the country to were just happening online. So we got to speak to so many more people so much faster, so much more easily. Um, and from a fundraise side of things, at first we thought, oh God, we're screwed. Like who's going to want to put money into anyone in the middle of a pandemic? Um, but it was more around, right, how do we put money into companies that are not retail <laughs> and um you know i've got you know i guess a strategy that, that stretches beyond needing cash today um so i think it helped us more than it hindered us mm. um obviously that's you know a very blinkered approach to what was going off you know across the, you know across every other company because obviously some of our customers were directly affected um but, you know, in terms of the fleet teams that were dealing with electric, it was more a long-term strategy. Yeah. So I'm interested to know, and may sound a slightly crass question, but, but I think it's interesting for people to understand. After a recent fundraise that you did, there were headlines saying, you know, Mina's been valued at £6 million. And, you know, you think, whoa, that's a really big number. But what does that actually mean to the company? And what does it mean to the way that you're working and your plans for the future. I think that's something I'm, I'm really interested to understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, good question. So I guess the six million is is the valuation that um, Fleetcore, who are our um, biggest investor now, investors at. Um, so they, uh, you know, put money in and in return got a percentage. Um, you know, if you, if you total that up, that got to six million. Um, in terms of what it means, really, you know, we have a, some, a cash injection uh, so we can invest in developers, sales, marketing, you know, and an EV being as young as it is, we are winning some contracts with some very large organisations that have the potential to deliver millions of pounds of the revenue. But right now they might have 10 electric vehicles on the road. The potential might be 20,000, but that's going to take some ramping up. But if we don't win them now, we're not going to win them, you know, when, they're, when they've got 20,000 vehicles because someone else will have got there soon. So it's almost like we need cash to build the products and be ready for when there's a significant volume. But in terms of like how the business operates, not a great deal. You know, they are massively helpful. And, you know, that we were lucky that we got an investor that, is is hands-on but can be hands-on in the way that can be very beneficial like they're the biggest fuel card in the uk they know fleet 
they have every customer that we every one of their customers can be one of our customers but they really let us get on with running the business you know they don't interfere they just they just help i guess but we have been incredibly lucky like i know lots of businesses that have raised money who've had investors that haven't been as relaxed and haven't been as helpful how much um, does uh, being in Sheffield help or hinder you? This is for both both companies, really, because I, th- I, I, I assume that both both of you uh, don't necessarily need to be in Sheffield. It's not like Sheffield is like uh, where all the business is, I presume. Um, but obviously, it's uh, it's it's where the offices are and where the businesses are based. I was thinking, it was when you're talking about like getting getting investment and that kind of thing. Would you? Uh, to people, do investors, for example, hear that you are based in Sheffield and go, oh, lovely, the peaks. Or do they go, where's Sheffield? That doesn't sound like a place that we should be investing in. Where's, where's, where are, how does it help or hinder? They'd be <laughs> uh, fools, of course, if they thought that. But that's, uh... Yeah, the, the peak district was the only reason we got investment, actually. It's funny you say that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we, we've got investment as well. Um, it's through Mercia Investments, they're based in Leeds. Uh, and that was actually part of the Northern Powerhouse Fund. So, there's one easy answer to your question is that uh, we got investment because we were in Sheffield. You know, it's not to say that we wouldn't have got if we were elsewhere, but that's just the type of investment we got. Um, uh, in terms of um, Sheffield as a locality, actually, it's pretty good. Um, we don't need to be here. You, you, you're right. Um, most of our clients are in London just by the nature of nature of hospitality. Um, but we do, you know, we have a, a very national spread. And um, in the last year, we've hired people from all over as well. Um, so we've got quite a weird stronghold around Preston as well now, quite a few highs up there, bizarrely, it just seems to be the way it's played out. Um, some people actually in London who are working for us too, and it's quite a nice, quite a nice central point. And we're, we're in uh, Park Hill um, in the office, in the renovated offices there. I know that this recording won't catch the, uh, the video, but we've got some nice concrete ceilings above us and, uh, and some big windows, it's really nice. And actually, you would be amazed the amount of times that that has come up in conversations um, in, you know, when we're speaking to clients, potential clients that were in Park Hill, because it's quite a well-known building. And there's quite a few people who just uh, casually into architecture who've been like, oh my God, I need to come to your office. It's amazing. And the, almost a day day trip out of London up to the exotic North is something that they're really keen to do. Which is also great just because of the, obviously the, 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 you know, the proximity of it to the train station as well, because we can be, you know, in London or wherever very quickly, um, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, I suppose, how do I answer that question? The, the, um, when, when we first started looking for investment, it was pre-COVID. And a lot of investors, if you were in London, they wanted to see you face-to-face. And it was a bit like, okay, get on a train, off we go. Post-COVID, just jump on Zoom. Like, location almost didn't, almost just stopped immediately mattering once COVID hit. Um, you know, I think major benefits of being in Sheffield over pretty much any other major city is office space is significantly cheaper. Most of our staff are one, I would say, are from Sheffield or Yorkshire. Um, but we're not, we're not, we've never been really pressured about that. Whenever we've advertised, we've said, you can live anywhere. It's remote. And that makes it so much easier. Now the world is happy to jump on a video, uh, a video call. Yeah, how how much of or how many people in your teams are working remotely? And obviously, I guess you've been all working remotely for much of this this year and last year. But 
as you're returning to the office? Have you have you made hires in the meantime that are just going to be remote? And what proportion is that? We we certainly sorry to jump in. Uh, we certainly did a lot of hiring um, throughout throughout lockdown because we yeah yeah we we grew quite quite a lot a shed load actually. <laughs> um, I don't know, Jules. What how many people are working uh, remotely on a pretty permanent basis now? Um, maybe nearly a third of the team. So uh, we've got thirty two staff. So that would be about 10, 11 people um, are working remotely. Uh, and I think I just just had another reflection on. Sheffield as a, as a place um, and what that means. I think it really it really helps us with hiring the right people and attracting the right people because um, as a as a city, Sheffield is you know I, I love it. I, I've only I've only lived here five years, but I've completely fallen in love with it as a place. Um, it's just super friendly. The people you know generally they'll go out to the peaks on a weekend and. The, most of our team are into running and cycling and all of this kind of stuff. And, and actually just being in Sheffield just seems to attract those kind of people. And then therefore it just makes it quite easy to hire. And everyone I speak to um, uh, in, in kind of that hiring process is just really nice because they just really want to work there. <laughs> it does seem to attract people that have come here for the right reasons. I think, I mean, both Mel and I are not, nat- you know, natively or any in as well. I'm not natively from Sheffield, but. I think a lot of people that move here want to make Sheffield work and are really kind of enthusiastic about what it has to offer. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's really interesting how even even in a like a remote a remote world, obviously you can have well most I think most companies there are fully remote companies that, that are fully nomadic, but um but in terms of I think most companies will always have a hub and a base, some sort of physical location. And it is really interesting how that um, has an impact on a company's culture. And I do think there are fantastic cultural qualities to, to the, the majority of businesses in Sheffield. Um, and that is due to the, the, the type of people that choose to live and work here. Ash, Ash and Laurie, are you, are you planning on sort of keeping this uh, work from home um, sort of thing, uh, you know, going forwards from, from, from now? Are you sort of try, are you being, you know, Kind of letting people do what they want are you now yeah yeah i mean we can have and it helps that literally from day one we had to figure out how everyone was going to work remotely so there's almost never been a culture of oh we all we're all in the office and we don't the only thing we do to figure out who's coming to the office the next day is we have a little slack bot that says where are you working tomorrow and people say home office beach caravan wherever they're working and we don't really care as long as people are working yeah it's never it's never been mandated um and i think it's going to continue to be that way it's like yep just work wherever you kind of feel productive counter to that though yesterday we went down to a um to our investor our biggest investors office um down south and we went to the first um like big sort of ideation workshop that i've been to um since before covid um on that scale and it 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 was incredible like it was just the the energy in the room like you just can't there is certain things that you just can't replicate and that's sort of like how especially with people that you've worked with remotely for a for a lot just in terms of you know just the technology 
obviously there's there's huge potential with with zoom technology but um you still can't do like interjections or like body language and all of those little cues that you use to pick up off each other and start to evolve ideas in like a whiteboarding session and you can get so far remotely but honestly like doing that for the first time in a couple of years was just um it, yeah it was really really <laughs> just a, an incredible experience yeah i think i'd agree with that the um one of the things we're doing to kind of mitigate against that, we're, we're like you, that we don't mandate office working at all. You can, can kind of work from wherever you want. Um, but every uh, month um, we have a, something called a Walk Wednesday, <laughs> which alliteration at its finest. Um, so we encourage people to come come into the office, uh, you know, now that restrictions are easing and within, within all the guidelines, of course, um, just to spend the day actually working together and then we'll clock off a little bit early and go out to the peak. So here we go, another another reason why Sheffield's uh, an incredible place to work and brings a, a good culture um, off into the peaks or even sometimes from the office and, and just go for a walk and then go to the pub. And that's that's how we're kind of, bringing everyone together and still allowing that general flexibility it seems to work really nicely i really love this focus that um, you've all been talking about in terms of culture and and quite often when you know people ask people who aren't in our industry ask me about the industry and i try and explain the way that we work and the way that companies operate and it it's quite hard for people to wrap their heads around and something i'd like to ask all of you is how how do we as an industry do a better job of explaining to people outside the industry of what it's like to work here what kind of jobs there are what kind of opportunities are not just for young people but also perhaps for people who are looking to change and looking to bring their skills into our industry because we're desperate for talent aren't we and we need to be better at attracting people in what what sort of things do you think we could be doing? I think a lot of the positive cultural stuff that you get in tech is because you have to be, because there's such a competition for talent. Um, and, you know, people, are, you know, the it's a very inverse sort of lab, labor market where you kind of, you can't access that, you know, the, the labor is in control of like, right, well, I'm not going to go and work for them because I don't know if they're just, they, they have a really bad culture. They're going to choose to work somewhere that, that makes them, that, that, where they can have a fulfilling uh, career, whether that's work-life balance and um, kind of creating a company culture that allows people to do that. Um, in terms of your question, Mel, about like, in, I guess, I guess what you could, in terms of, so to go back to your original question, I think the best thing I could think of is kind of you could encourage young people to enter careers in tech and not just, I don't know, and then maybe kind of use that kind of positive cultural thing to. Um, to, to hook people in and say, look, it's a, it's a career where, where people kind of can really uh, kind of become good people and work at fantastic companies. My, my hope, I, I tend to rant about this at least once a year on the podcast, but my hope is that there's a change in, and it sounds like just everything you described just says to me the word choice, like people can choose what they do, which is a big thing for, for your working life. You know, the idea of work is that you don't get any choice. You have to go to it every day. Um, but but being able to choose how you do it, I think, is really really important. But my hope is that the tech world can redefine what culture actually is, especially amongst its own ranks, like agencies and tech companies. When they're 
putting to, so something simple like putting together job adverts and this is what i always complain about is that culture is actually about choice and we work from home if you you can work from home if you want but if we're having like a fantastic ideation meeting that'd be great for you to come if you want to because it's because you know because it's great and it's a really good way of doing things so the idea of choice and that kind of side of what i think culture really is in a company as opposed to pool tables and working hard playing hard all that kind of nonsense yeah i totally agree i mean i think it's yeah it's such a competitive market at the moment um and uh you know it's uh yeah it, it is it's interesting sort of seeing how job ads are shifting away from that sort of oh yeah we you know we've got um, a games room that you could go and play an Xbox in, uh, which which everyone probably turned up to the office and uh, I imagine there's a thick layer of dust on that Xbox as everyone feels would feel incredibly guilty going and, and, and playing a game for two hours on office time. Um, yeah, it's much more about sort of actually being, you know, I think having an influence on the company, um, you know, having your sort of your ideas heard and having an influence on that as well as, you know, the, the sort of perks, you know, the sort of perks around, um, working hours and you know socials and things like that as well. Yeah, I I, I don't know the um, the magic bullet answer to that to your question, Mel. But um, my my kind of brain is is thinking around the fact that there's <laughs> tech is so incredibly broad. You know, when people ask me what I do, I say I work in tech. It just mean it just means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Um, and we've. We recently hired a lot of people uh, from the hospitality industry, kind of they used to, you know, uh, be serving on tables and, and they'll be there, they're kind of making up a lot of our customer success team and our sales team. And, you know, they work in tech now as well. And it's actually how we, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know the answer, but it is how, how we kind of cross cross germinate all of the, the knowledge of what tech is and all the different options that you have available in other industries as well, if we want to kind of steal talent from them, which uh, which we do, of course. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but it's really interesting. It, it might, might be worth mentioning that, uh, you know, we could make a difference by trying to avoid having 100% white and six out of seven male uh, representation on, on things like this and, and other things. I think, you know, there's certainly something, something to be done about that. And, that, more that diversity gonna... to be brought into the into the industry. I think to, just to address the without belaboring that, and that's just the way it's turned out. And of course, you know, that's we don't get very much time to organise these things. And and uh, it's great to have you all here. But um, you know, one, one of the things that always strikes me about education and the and the expectations and assumptions that people have uh, when they you know young people have about our industry <clears throat> is that they think it's about you know, education is about subjects and it's not about making things. And our industry is so much about making things. And we're making things that didn't exist 30 years ago. And people don't really understand how those things are made. You know, but all of, all of us here are involved in one way or another in actually creating things, making things. It's, when you say it's a, tech is very broad, it's as broad as manufacturing is. You, know, there's, you can build everything from, from bridges to plastic widgets. And the same thing goes for tech. And it's just, we as a, as a, I think as a society and culture haven't quite understood that actually this whole industry is about making things. And when we talk to kids about it and, and teach them at school, we should be teaching them how to make things and that they're part of a process or they could be part of a, a process of making things, which fits with Sheffield very well, obviously. Yeah, so we've got the whole Sheffield Makes kind of brand going on alongside the Outdoor City brand, which we've heard how important that is. Um, mm. I do want to come back to this issue of diversity. Mm. Um, because it gets 
it, it gets talked about an awful lot at the moment. And we've, we've got this kind of balancing act between the fact that at the moment, our industry looks a certain way and we want that to change. So we want it to be more diverse. And there are lots and lots of very good reasons that we all understand about why it needs to be more diverse. So it's how do we bridge the gap between where we are now and where we want to be? What kind of messages can we put out as an industry that are going to gradually shift what it looks like over time? Because there's no quick fix. We're probably looking at a generational thing. But what, what might each of you say about your company to attract a broader range of people to think about coming to work there? Sounds like an exam question, doesn't it? Sorry, but but I'm I'm interested in what you think. Nothing like preparers preparing us for this one, eh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, again, it's such a massive, massive question. Uh, and you know, you you could drill down and down and down into societal uh, norms and you know, thousands of years of all of that kind of jazz as to why why we are where we are now. Um, we um, oh, such a good question. Um, we're about a 50-50 split, male female, um, in our company, um, which is something that we weren't about a year ago at all maybe um so we've you know we have talked about it and we we certainly acknowledge it's a thing and we're, we're now up to about 50 50 which is which is great um in terms of the the message you put out there oh, <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't know the answer i don't know the answer i mean it's about um it's hard when all the people that are going to be interacting with the company uh, automatically going to be speaking to white males like that that's the thing that uh, is just a, a challenge we'll need to overcome um and i i don't know the answer I, i'm sorry i don't know no that i'll let you off no. i won't downgrade you um laurie ash what do you think well we, we we were always we've always been concerned that once you start to build a culture of say i don't know white males between 20 and 40 suddenly it's very difficult for somebody outside of that to come in because if there's 10 15 people in that bracket then you know maybe they feel not comfortable in that environment so from day one we've always said like we need to make sure our job ads get out there into the right places you know so we've always not just put ads out there but then reached out to people on linkedin who we think might fit that role and say just so you know this is there if you want to apply so i think we're just open-minded really about just making sure that we are reaching a wide demographic of people because there's some incredibly talented people that may automatically exclude themselves for the wrong reasons yeah i think rep representation is obviously a huge part of it but um when it comes to hiring we've we've we had this uh well we, we've always used the the motto internally of like really consciously casting your net very wide um i think it's easy within within sheffield if you've been part of a, a network of good people for so long be like and you have an opportunity be like all oh, right well i'll just go and talk to this person because i know they're good at that um but it's trying to get yourself out of that and say look well let's let's reset and let's let's really if we really think about it really Put some thought into this and um so with recent hires that has been not just kind of 
trying to look beyond our immediate networks um, and just really kind of yeah casting our net wide as we say and as Ash said um, direct approaches to to people that that might that might not see themselves if we're, if we're not kind of projecting an image of, of that type of person working here just showing like no we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you. Excellent. Thank you both for that. I mean, it's it's a question that's going to run and run, isn't it? But I always think it's good to get the perspective of the people actually running the businesses. That's really helpful. But to um, kind of wrap us up, because I know we're um, tight on time and to, to make things a bit easier and not ask hard questions anymore. Just um, just tell us about what you think the future looks like for your companies, what you're excited about, um, what's what's on your mind for the next six months or so what will we see going on hopefully not a lot of track two for us <laughs> um yes very much hoping that that i mean we, when we when we when we built track two i think um it's the, the last two years have sort of been us being quite reactionary to whatever the government um sort of decides to bring in sort of last minute i think um with uh, the government put out that uh, hospitality would need to um, uh, have a track and trace system in place. Um, I think, when was it? 23rd of June, they announced that uh, for the 4th of July opening. So I think we, we, we put together a track and trace system in six days um, to, 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 to launch nationally, which I think, yeah, was quite, you know, quite a we're going back to what I was talking about earlier about scalability going from having one venue using it to having 30 million people checking into it was quite a quite a task and it, it's it I would like to think that the sort of the future sort of holds a little bit more of um us being in control of our growth <laughs> rather than um rather than Boris yeah yeah we've, <laughs> we've um we've just received another round of investment actually um and so uh, the focus is very much on on toggle and airship and we're we're thinking about how those two products um, interact with each other to form kind of a more holistic uh, hospitality approach. That's one thing we're, we're, we're really working on at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Jules hit the nail on the head. We, <laughs> finally, we can just go, oh, just, just a little bit. And then we're like, right, okay, let's, let's do our own thing now. Yeah, and I think, you know, for us, you know, we've set out with a, with a mission of making the payment of charging electric vehicles simple and that evolved that's almost evolves every two months i would say you know a year ago it was all about home six months ago it was like I said on public now we're adding on workplace yeah and we're now getting into technology where we can do plug and charge which is essentially plug your car in we know whose car it is we can authenticate it without any cards apps or anything like that so you know and yeah, we, we want to essentially control the charging of every fleet vehicle in the UK and Europe. That's kind of the mission. I love that kind of ambition. That sounds fantastic. And will there be more fundraising in the cards for you, for Mina? Probably, yes. I mean, we took investment in March this year and said, oh, that's it. No more funding. And then you look at all the opportunities and how quick EV is growing. And it's like we can't sit around and wait for revenue to catch up with the speed that we need to develop products because mm. because you we're up against shell and bp who are pouring a million pound a month into their products and you can't you've got to keep up the pace 
Chris, any more questions? Well, I was, I mean, I have, I have questions, but as you say, we're, we're nearing kind of the end of our time. I, the question I did have was kind of related to that because I wondered, you know, you talked very early on about product market fit, Laurie, and um, for both companies, I, I wonder what the landscape is like. Like, do you feel you're, you're kind of early into a market that is going to be enormous and there's still plenty of scope? But like you say, Ash, you know, there are so many opportunities. You feel you need to kind of, you need to convert them now to get a, to get a foothold in, in what is going to be a very big marketplace. And I wonder if you guys at Airship have experienced that as well. You know, despite being 18 years old and having worked in hospitality for so long, is, is it still just being transformed at such a pace that you need to um, keep up in a, a rapidly evolving niche? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's so fast. It's so fast. Every week's different. Um, we... Uh, we did a bit of analysis on this um, the other week, actually, um, and we currently have about four uh, percent coverage of the uh, of kind of our our niche of hospitality across the UK. Um, plenty of headroom, then. So there's, so there's, so there's plenty of headroom. <laughs> How about you guys, Ash and Laurie? Yeah, I think you know EV is a new, very new market, and there's a lots of products that we've looked at. We've already tried tested and canned some because either we think either we've just said we don't want to be in that space or we think the market is too far away mm, to, yeah. to be worthwhile focusing on now um but we know the market's going to be huge i mean there's 20 odd million vehicles on the road in the uk alone and every one of them will be electric at some point in not the not too distant mm. future you know and there's some real crazy niches when you think of like emergency response vehicles, like how do you make a fire engine electric? Like we're not getting involved in that. You know, we want to get involved in the mainstream. How do you make you like commercial vehicles and company cars and charge, you know, far more mass market um, areas? So, um, I mean, presumably you've gone into this with some kind of idea of what your exit is. Are you, are you looking to establish that position and then, get acquired by one of the big players in that in that area yeah yeah i think when we went into it we thought maybe our exit would be to a domestic energy company mm. and like change very quickly now because i think um because we focus very much on fleet like businesses one thing that's very apparent is that fuel cards or fuel card companies realize they have a ticking time bomb you know they are kodak <laughs> mm -hmm. and people won't be buying fuel cards in 10 15 years time um so we're kind of position ourselves very much in the place that will be acquired by a fuel card company yeah and all-star who are our biggest investor are a fuel card company so so you're the pivot essentially yeah 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 i think we hope so yeah awesome what about you guys at, at airship i mean obviously you're well established you kind of you've always seemed to me uh, as kind of like one of those quintessential sheffield uh, lifestyle companies you know that uh, reach a certain size and and stay around for a long time and you know do really really good work but and, and are well established um, mm. but it sounds like you're on the verge of actually turning into something different uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever been described as quintessential before. I quite like it though. Quite like it. Above <laughs> the door, quintessentially Sheffield. Um, we, uh, you, you're right though. So uh, it was a very, very different business. Um, uh, we had a massive, massive shift about 
three years ago it almost felt like day zero again three years ago so this is kind of what i was saying earlier how mm. we, we, yeah we are old but we feel very much like a startup because we kind of literally almost reset entirely um it was a it was a lifestyle business um now it's not uh, also um going for an exit so we've had this investment and uh, we've, we've very much got a plan of what we want to do in the next couple of years for that um as i said yeah we've done all the done done the market research you know business plan 101 that's us <laughs> um, got a whiteboard with it all up here um and so uh yeah the, the shift was it was fascinating and very exciting actually it just kind of gave us a bit of a new lease of life and, and that's now um our goal yeah is is no longer lifestyle business yeah. well fantastic I, I mean i'm sure mel does as well and she'll tell you but yeah we wish you both like all the success it's such a great story both of you and we're so glad we've got you two in in, uh, in our ecosystem here in Sheffield thank you yeah and please you know keep us really up to date on what's going on and how your businesses are growing and changing and what you need from the local ecosystem and all that kind of thing and at some point I really want to come and talk to you at Airship about uh, about that mind what what happened what changed your mind from being a lifestyle business to a business with a plan because uh, it's something I get asked that about a lot is how can we encourage more people to, to make that change but we'll oh, save that story. for another day yeah it's a good story if you've got a three-hour podcast slot I'll, uh, I'll talk to you about that <laughs> sounds good <laughs> might just do that <laughs> great, great. Uh, brilliant thank you thank you all for joining us if uh, if uh, listeners want to find out more about Mina it's mina.co.uk and airship is airship.co.uk very straightforward for me um and yeah thank you all for for joining us um it's been great to uh, talk to you we'll hopefully see you again soon thanks for having thank us. you very much thank yeah. you very much thanks for having us it's been great to talk to you all yeah and you and you Bye. right time for some news and this will be our first news section since um i think since january 2021 this year so um uh anything happened anything <laughs> good to tell people we're not covering everything that's happened. Since Come on, we'll start with March. <laughs> no, February. February comes after January, doesn't it? I don't know what anything is anymore. I don't know if I can remember that far back, Ian, but there has, has been lots of good stuff going on. And the first thing I'd say is that, you know, Sheffield Digital still going strong and we're really grateful for the ongoing support we've had from our members and sponsors and everybody else out there. Mm. Um, so while, while our profile may have, not be quite as high because of being locked down and you know isolated and all that sort of stuff we're still doing what we do and um still hopefully delivering what the world out there would like from sheffield digital so so that's all good and we're doing the podcast again which is good um although probably once a month rather than every three weeks uh, just because time goes by so fast it seems like there are other Com, there's other comms stuff that seems to have been uh, there seems to be more of that I would say than than less over the last few months yeah I mean the the team have been just absolutely fantastic so so Claire and Sarah and Sophie been doing an amazing job of keeping the comms really flowing and also there's there's a lot of interesting news to cover at the moment so we get a lot of stuff passed through to us that we can then turn into posts for the website and that kind of thing um yeah, and we, we want to keep that comms flowing because we think it's a really key part of what Sheffield Digital does is just keep people connected and informed. Indeed. 
the, the, the newsletter in particular if, if people are listening and not subscribed to the newsletter that is kind of a key way of keeping up to date with things that are going on and um we were just discussing off air so let's do it on air too so there's a little bit of moving and shaking office wise in 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 the city we, yeah. we, we we really don't have the space to talk about everything that's happened in the last <laughs> sort of seven eight months um but uh, it's interesting to note that that people are moving about and yeah. maybe little tech hubs forming that kind of thing it's kind of i think there's quite a sort of reconfiguration of going on in the city as uh there's new workspaces that are being opened like Kubo. I know Leah's yard is, in, is you know, progressing rapidly through their new development. There's, there's, new, there's new planning that has been approved for, um, for accommodation with workspace attached in several parts of Sheffield. But I, I think also there's been quite a bit of remodeling and as, as some of the tech companies have re um, kind of evaluated what their space needs are, um, they've decided to move into different offices. So. SEO Works, for example, have, uh, they've moved into Fountain Precinct, I think. So they've, and that is largely or partly to get a bit closer to the center, even though they weren't very far out of the center, they're only over at West Bar. Um, but even just moving that sort of quarter mile closer to the center makes a difference um, to them. So they've taken up offices there and uh, Nimble, Nimble Approach, um, Chris Roberts's company, who we interviewed in one of our early um, podcast episodes four years ago or something. Um, so Nimble have grown massively. They, they're building um, big delivery teams and they've moved into much bigger offices also in Fountain Precinct, I think. I think uh, Nimble have also opened sort of outpost offices in other cities as yeah, well. They have, yeah, they have. Which is just yeah. fantastic to see. There's definitely been a, a lot of growth going on um, and we've seen that through our jobs board as well, just with the sheer quantity of jobs being advertised every day. It's amazing. Mm. And so Fountain Precinct seems to have become a little bit of a a hub almost overnight because Three Squared have been in there for a while and they expanded and reconfigured their space. Mm. And SEO Works have gone there and Nimble Nimble Approach have gone there as well. So Mm. it's almost like, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there around Barker's Pool because with you know the old John Lewis building yeah. empty and people trying to figure out what to do with that, um, with um, Division Street being partially uh, pedestrianised and more and more hospitality uh, outlets opening along there, it, it's something's something's shifting and Leah's Yard is kind of round the corner, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah. By this time next year, it's going to be really interesting to see what that part of the city looks like. Yeah, and then Joy Poloy have moved as well, I think. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen. To, but... I've I've seen they've gone into uh, somewhere different down at Kellum, um, a different space. So uh, they've and they've been doing some interesting work recently. If if you're interested in what they've been up to, they blog and post quite a lot, um, and they're doing some as always, really interesting work with the broadcast media. And um, they're doing a project with, in collaboration with Field for Wentworth Woodhouse, which is that huge stately home in Barnsley. Um, and I, I mean, I could go on, on about this for ages, but I won't, but if you're interested in that, check out what they're doing because they're looking at how to use virtual experiences to allow people to interact and learn about the building while the building right. itself is being restored. Ah, so big cultural heritage project. 
yeah yeah really cool cool uh hive as well i think hive have just moved into new offices in beehive works which i don't know where it, where it is actually you, where is beehive works oh you know i can visualize it but i can't keep, see keep talking i'll use the internet to find out right ask the interwebs where is beehive works <laughs> I, I want to say calamaria as well yeah. come on in find it fast while you're finding it, actually um another thing that i can mention is um endpoint esports so there's a, a sheffield-based esports company called endpoint and i know that they are looking for workspace so i have they're looking for kind of flexible office space but also studio space to um kind of uh, experiment with new setups, right? Event setups. So when they they when they create esports events in arenas, they need to test how the equipment is set up and how it works and all these kind of things. So they have these. They can either be combined or or kind of separate. Ideally, I think they'd like it all to be in the same building. But um, if anyone if anyone has an idea, I'll I'll, uh, I'll post this to the Slack um, because. Uh, Adam at, at an endpoint emailed me yesterday with a kind of description of what it is that they're looking for. They've been looking for a little while actually and haven't found anything. So if anyone's got a good tip, it'd be really interesting or it'd be really good to pass it on to them. I can tell you that Beehive Works um, is in the Devonshire Quarter and it's oh. on Milton Street. So that's um, kind of the big uh, Waitrose roundabout, as it's perhaps known. Of I'm course. Sure. It's all that kind of area there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So near, near Twinkle. Yeah. Yes. And um, Sumo Digital have been having an interesting time recently, <laughs> haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> Talking yes, about a big announcement. <laughs> yeah, big big announcement. So if anybody missed it, um, Sumo uh, uh, in the process of being acquired by okay. I think Tencent for. Yeah. Large, 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 large. $1.2 billion was the, was the uh, yeah. advertised price point. So yeah. Which is just, I mean, huge congratulations to them mm. and, and, and to the team there. I mean, to, have, to have such a global success story in our city and, and with the heritage of, of the games industry in our city is just amazing. And they've got um, their sumo digital academy mm -hmm. which is is teaching people to be games developers and they've just i think it was yesterday mm. uh published their first game which is a reboot of zool zool which yeah. is where i show i i really don't know anything about <laughs> gaming but i'm going to turn over to chris who can tell us all about <laughs> zool <laughs> yeah it was a, it was a, a, a 1990s platformer on amiga and atari st um, that I think I think it was still a Gremlin game. I think I think was it Gremlin still were they the publishers of it originally? I, I have a feeling they were, but yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of a cult classic British platformer. And uh, yeah, I think the um, the the first intake we we, we interviewed Jake Habgood from uh, from Sumo a while ago now, but not mm. quite a year ago. I think it was like last autumn we we interviewed him um, when he when he was. Uh, he'd moved over from from Sheffield Hallam to Sumo and was in the process of setting up um, the Sumo Academy. And so this this is the the first intake from the academy. They have now graduated and have published the game that they've been working on since the beginning of the year. And it's like a it's a re reboot or a remaster of uh, of the of Zool, the platform game. And it's being it's being published by. Um, 
secret door, secret message. Um, it's, it's one of Sumo's smaller publishing companies. Um, they're handling all the publishing for it. And I think it's live on Steam as of yesterday. Yeah, and there's a really nice little video with Jake and the um, the people who've been mm. going, the cohort going through the academy, just talking about what it's been like for them. And what's interesting is they're all people who've come from very different backgrounds and different walks of life, and they've all all had a, a passion and ambition to become games developers mm. and talked about how the academy has helped them do that. So um, long may that continue, and I hope we'll see lots more people go through it and lots more games published. It's great to see Jake sort of continuing what he was doing at Hallam mm. um, for Sumo. That leads us nicely onto the Sheffield Digital mentoring scheme. Mm. Um, have we talked about that on the podcast before? I suppose we may yes. have done. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talked about it when uh, we were launching it and um, hats off to Sophie, Sophie Wendell, our community manager, who has done an amazing job with working, you know, on the model for the scheme and then uh, kind of bringing people on board and helping to match them up. But at the moment, we've got um, more than 20 mentors signed up and about 15 mentees taking advantage of the mentoring. And the feedback we're getting is that everyone's enjoying it, mentor and mentee alike. Everyone's getting something out of it. We'd really like to see this scheme grow and become a kind of a bedrock thing that Sheffield Digital helps make happen. So if you're interested in being a mentee, so, so being matched with a mentor to help you with your career development or your career aspirations, then you know please get in touch. If you're interested in mentoring, whether you've done it before or not, then again, please get in touch. With, you know, we've got access to support materials and there's lots of help to help you make it work, but it's, it's going to be such a good way to um, for people to share knowledge and for people to share networks and for people to explore their careers and and perhaps develop in new directions. So we'd really like to see that take off. Mm -hmm. um, details are on the website uh, to find just, out more about that. Just just a, just a note that it's uh, it, the schemes for members, isn't it? It's for our individual members. It is, yeah. So so anyone in the industry can become a mentor. But if you'd like to be a mentee, we ask that you be an individual member of Sheffield Digital. Um, that helps us cover Sophie's time um, to, to do the work. Um, and you can join as an individual member direct from the website. It's very easy. It's a fiver a month, people. Come on. Yeah, it's nothing. <laughs> we have, um, again, very similar uh, kind of thing, for want of a better word. I think there probably are better words than that, but we'll stick with thing. Um, uh, we've been making some career videos. That's what, what's what we can kind of call them. But they're really, really interviews with people from the uh, digital sector in Sheffield to find out how they got to be where they are now. So, you know, this comes back to this question that I keep asking about, how can we do a better job of helping people understand what sort of jobs there are in the digital sector. Mm. And we thought, well, why don't we get people to explain their jobs, what they do and how they got into them? So um, Sarah and Sophie and Claire have been interviewing all sorts of people, people who work in the sector and people who freelance in, in the sector as well. You can find all the videos on Sheffield Digital's YouTube channel. And we're very happy for those to be shared and to be used. So if you're uh, in education and you want some materials to show to your students or your pupils that talk to them about digital, 
you know, feel free to use them. Um, if you're interested in, you know, what sort of opportunities there are, if you support people who are looking at perhaps changing careers or uh, opening up new avenues, please use these materials. And if you're interested in doing a video with us, then please get in touch. Um, it's, it's very low stress. It's just a chat like this on Zoom. Um, and then it's edited down and, and uh, put up on the YouTube. They're great. I mean, yeah, I haven't watched all of them, but uh, there's actually quite, there's a lot now. It's like 20 or something. Yeah. Um, but they're really fascinating. So, so it's really nice just to hear people talk about their story and see, like, see people in the course of answering it reflect on the journey that they've taken uh, and all the different routes and all the different professions that, um, uh, you know, that, that Claire and, and Sarah have been able to, uh, you know, engage with as people who do all sorts of different roles. Um, so it's really fascinating just to see the breadth of different um, profession that exist in the sector. The, uh, the next item on our list of things to talk about is um, less a talking point and more a call to action. So I'm not quite sure how we approach this, but it says here, join the UTC Sheffield uh, Multi-Academy Trust. Is that something you want me to do now, Chris? Can I just sign up? <laughs> you, you can, you can um, fill out an application form and send it to the trust and you'll be considered. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to draw attention to this. Um, I, I put a post about this up on Sheffield Digital a few weeks ago. Um, the UTC, the Sheff UTC Sheffield Multi Academy Trust is a, um, it's a, it's an, uh, an educational trust that runs um, three schools, the secondary schools for 13 to 19 year olds, so GCSE and A levels. We run two schools in Sheffield, um, and we, we've also recently taken over UTC in Derby, so we're running that school as well. Uh, and the UTCs, University Technical Colleges, are, are they're predicated on a different kind of model of education. So instead of just doing subjects, um, the, the students take specialisms as well. So as well as the academic subjects that they do, you know, English, maths, um, languages, uh, they, also, they also choose a specialism and then spend uh, initially at kind of GCSE level six hours a week um, focusing on that particular specialism. And those specialisms are connected to industry and to university. So, so the, the partners of the schools are, are employers, so companies and university departments that do research in that particular area. So each of our schools has different specialisms. The one in the city centre does creative and digital media and engineering and advanced manufacturing. The one out at Olympic Legacy Park does um, health sciences, sports science and computing. So three specialisms. Um, and yeah, we, I've been on the trust. I've been kind of one of the people who's been involved in building the, the university technical colleges um, since 2012. I joined a um, long time ago. If you may even remember the meeting, Mel, where uh, Richard Wright came into a CDI sector group meeting that we were hosting and asked if anyone would be interested in joining the steering group. So yeah, I yeah, do remember. Since, then, since then, we've, we've, uh, we've built two schools and taken over the running of another. And, you know, thousands of kids have been through our programs um, and we're looking to expand our governance. So we've got we've got um, open positions on the board of trustees, but also at individual school level in the boards of governors. Um, and I'm really looking for people in the tech industry to come in and lend their support and their voice and provide some guidance so that we can make sure the schools are even better at developing young people um, 
into into great careers and with great understanding of what our industry has to offer so if anyone's interested in that please read the article get in touch i'm happy to talk to anybody who's got an interest i've spoken to several people already about what it entails and what we're trying to do as a trust uh, and yeah um you, you, you if you you can look at it and if you're interested you can apply directly there's a link in the article to it or you can talk to me about it anytime you like I'm sure you did a lot of important work, Chris, over the last nine years, but I wrote the strap line in 2012. So, (laughs) and that was everything hangs on that strap line. Was that you, Ian? It was on the side of the wall for many years. It might have still been. Yeah, was it be creative, be industrious? Yeah, I mean, that kind of that's golden, isn't it? I mean, amazing. (laughs) Don't know how I come up with it. (laughs) So, there's a creative side to it, but also that they can go into industry. I know the thing we need for this. (laughs) Did you choose the fonts? Um, no, someone I sat next to probably did though. Um, right, just up the road from the UTC, we've got Hallam. And what have they been doing? They're helping SMEs to access higher skills and achieve higher growth. Um, how are they doing that? So there's there's a couple of programmes at Sheffield Hallam uh, at the moment because there's government funding pouring into business support through these sorts of programmes. And I wanted to make sure that uh the business you know digital businesses knew about these because quite often you hear about them and you think oh they're they're not really for us these sorts of programs um the first one is higher skills higher growth which is a program to help small businesses access the university in terms of you know using students to work on projects for you um and building links with students who might become future employees giving students industry experience Um, and quite often in the past we've sort of criticized these sorts of projects because they're a bit generic and don't really work for small businesses in our industry but what Hallam have done now is they've hired two sector specialists in their team to specifically work with creative and digital companies in order to find ways to make these sorts of programs work for them. So even if you've considered this sort of thing in the past and thought it's not for you, it might be worth exploring now to see if there's a way that you can tap into the resources available at Hallam in order to, you know, make something happen in your business. But at the same time, you're contributing to the the growth of the talent pool of future employees for digital. The other programme that Hallam will be uh, starting to run in um, September is called Help to Grow Management. And um, this is a programme that's being run across the UK or across England anyway, um, through business schools at universities and, and Sheffield Hallam has a business school. And it's like a mini MBA for businesses, for senior people in businesses. And it's targeted at small companies. It's about giving their senior people a chance to take time out from the business and think about what they need in order to grow. Um, It's a 12-week program. You go on lectures and workshops. A lot of it's being done online. Some of it will be in person. You get to be part of a peer group and you do peer group learning. And you also get one-to-one mentoring from um, the people who are running the the lectures and workshops. Um, It's partly funded or, or mostly funded. The majority of it is funded. The business needs to kick in 750 quid which for a 12-week program with the amount of support you get is pretty good value 
Um, I will also mention this may, of course, put you off, but I'm one of the, the lecturers and um, hopefully also one of the mentors on the programme. Um, and I'll be covering marketing and uh, how you plan a marketing strategy. Um, but if you're interested in either of those, um, you can uh, you know, find the links through posts that we've put on our website through Sheffield Hallam or um, drop me a line and I can point you in the right direction. Fantastic. Uh, and then finally, there is the Sheffield Digital Business Networking for Members, which we uh, mentioned a little earlier in the show. I think we were online. Maybe we were offline when we spoke to our guests about offline, that. Yeah. Um, tell us more then. Maybe this is the first time people are going to hear about it, so make it good. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's one of the things about digital design. You have to always assume that whatever, every piece of content is the first time that someone has come into contact with you. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that aside, uh, yeah, we've been wanting to to um, do something more formal around business networking for a while. Obviously, pre-COVID, we used to have the digital showcase events, and which were like kind of show and tells for multiple companies to come and present. Um, you know, do short presentations and interviews about stuff that they've been working on. Um, we want to kind of pick those up again, hopefully, maybe not this year, but, but next year. Um, but in the meantime, um, I we want to bring, you know, our, our membership together, particularly our company members. You know, we have the mentoring scheme for our individual members, um, but it, it would be, be good. And I've spoken to a lot of companies that, you know, feel a little bit isolated you know, partly because of because of COVID and the lockdown, um, they find it more difficult to connect with other companies in the local ecosystem. So other supply chain companies, essentially, or they've got less visibility of, of you know, what kind of specialisms are out there and, you know, who's available and who does what and who they should go and talk to if they have a particular need or, um, and just generally kind of, you know, from a support point of view, like how other, other companies are solving common problems and these kind of things. Um, so business business networking that's more about kind of mutual uh, collaboration and support than it is about you know marketing and selling and and, and business development. Um, so I, I put a post up with kind of outlining our ideas about this and what we think it would be like. And I've had some feedback from several people, um, which has been really good. But uh, yeah, I, I basically it's a it's a call for people to read the article and to, to let me know what they think about it and, and any ideas they've got for how it could be made as, as good as it, you know, as good as it can be. Um, I kind of, the, the, the model that I'm leaning towards at the moment is that there's, a, there's an online version of this, um, which is very low overhead, you know, just jump on Zoom, introduce yourself, you know, have an opportunity to table some, some, some topics to, to discuss, but kind of, you know, get a very quick idea of, of who else is out there and, and what they do and, and what they're about and what they're looking for. Um, but then also um, kind of alternate that with, with a, a more social face-to-face um, -face thing. So um, an opportunity for, for, for our membership to meet and to, to drink and eat and chat and talk about other stuff. Um, in a much more social and kind of, you know, conducive environment to having side conversations. Um, so I think a combination of both of those things would be would be really good. And um, the objective is to kind of kick off the first online one uh, sometime in either September or October. But yeah, if you've got any ideas, let me know. And if, if you think it's a terrible idea, let me know. If you think it's a great idea, let me know. If you want to sponsor it, let me know. Um, you know, just 
uh, let me know your thoughts. We'll let you um, know, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just let you know if we can, like Alita Adams. Uh, specialist joke there. Um, thanks, uh, Mel and Chris. Have we, is that everything? We covered everything since February? Oh, yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> Nothing else has happened. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to disappear into the future to tell people about uh, upcoming events in the uh, Sheffield digital community and uh, say thank you to members who have joined since the last time we spoke. Mm-hmm. So I'll do that. What are you two going to do? Get some lunch. <laughs> Great. Well, you enjoy that. I'll carry on working. Uh, <laughs> have fun. Thanks, Ian. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Time to go through some upcoming events in Sheffield's digital sector. You can find all this information out yourself, by the way, at sheffield.digital slash events. It's all there, but I'm going to tell you anyway. On the 26th of August, we have Computing for the Soul, positive personal stories about technology. That sounds interesting, a bit different. Um, On the 28th, we have the Sheffield Hackspace, which is open every Saturday, 2 till 6 p.m. When we move on into... September, on the 2nd, Thursday the 2nd of September, we've got Go Sheffield. On Friday, we have, of course, have Sheffield Digital Geek Brecky. Happens every Friday morning. Um, on Saturday the 4th, we've got Sheffield Hackspace again. That's every Saturday, as already mentioned, 2 till 6. Um, well, what have we got on the, where are we, 7th? The 7th of, 7th of September. We've got .NET Chef, um, which is about .NET configuration with Kevin Smith. We have on the 15th, another .NET chef. We think that might be lightning talks. I'm not sure if they're online or not. There's a question mark next to online. And on the 7th, there's a question mark next to in-person. So you might have to email them to find out more about that. And then on the 23rd, we have Sheffield DM, which is live online and in-person. Yes, I know that the Sheffield DM folks have, uh, so that's uh, digital marketing, or I think, direct marketing, digital marketing. Oh dear. It's one of those two things. it's uh, digital marketing. There you go. I've checked. I should have done that before I started speaking. Um, they're starting, uh, they're doing it online and in person, in person again, which is uh, really, uh, really uh, good to see. So if you're happy to go along, then do so. If not, you can watch it online. Marvellous. And that's it in the calendar at the moment for September, but there is always, always time for more stuff to go in there. So feel free to uh, check out Sheffield.digital slash events as previously discussed. Now then, On to our members. We need to say a big thank you to our members. They keep the lights on around here, etc. So we'll start with um, AUP, AUP, which we uh, we hope to have them on uh, the people behind AUP um, on the show sometime soon to talk about the way that they are trying to um, improve digital skills and get people, young people, trained up in the uh, in the world of programming and development and all that kind of thing. So thank you to them. They are signed up as company members. We've also got uh, TES, T-E-S. You can find them on Twitter at T-E-S, which is also handy. Big thank you to them for becoming company members too. And then Vouch. Find them on Twitter at VouchCoUK. And uh, they joined on the 19th of August. So welcome and thank you. On the individual front, so these are people who are coughing up a fiver every month to keep the lights on. We've had one new member since we last spoke, and that is Jitesh Keswani. So thank you very much, Jitesh. Um, Your support is greatly appreciated. As always, if you would like to subscribe to the show, you can do that, and we'd like you to do that. 
Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the places. That's where we are. We're all the places in them. Um, so go over and uh, subscribe to the Shepherd Digital Podcast. Just search for us. I'm sure we'll turn up somewhere. And if you want to find out more about the show, you can go to the website, sheffield.digital slash podcast. And we also post all our episodes there as well. So every single episode so far, this is the 72nd episode. You can go back and listen to lots of great interviews from the last four years. That's it, as I say, and uh, we will speak to you next time. Thanks for listening.